0: Connect the stories, change your perspective.
4: Connecting changes everything. at and
2: Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com.
4: You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?
0: Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Y'all, I've got to show some hometown love. I'm so excited to have Kimberla Lawson-Roby as our special guest today. She is a New York Times bestselling author. And she is currently giving back in the space of also mentorship with her writer's masterclass and uh, her podcast. She's so amazing, Uh, super quiet, but such a force. And to know that she is still living in Rockford, Illinois, uh, author of 30 books. Y'all get into this, get into it. Come on in, get some coffee. This is going to be a beautiful conversation. We are here for another amazing episode of Checking In. Of course, there can be no checking in without y'all that keep downloading these episodes and being so engaging and checking in. Today, I've got someone who is a hometown trailblazer, hometown hero, has done so much in the world of books. I'm humbled today to have a New York Times best-selling author. Also, USA Today helms her as a best-selling author because she is a best-selling author of 29 books. She got like 80 more up her sleeves, I'm sure <laughs> of it. Inspirational speaker and writing and publishing mentor. Please welcome to Checking In, Kimberla Lawson Roby.
5: Thank you so much, Michelle. It's wonderful to be here.
0: 29 books, ma'am. <laughs> How do you keep writing? It's so much more in you as well.
5: I, You know, I think so. And of course, that always takes me back, though, when I when I'm thinking about the 29 books, what it was like, first of all, to never have a dream of writing books. I had a dream of writing and I always loved writing, but... Did I think I would write books? Definitely not. And so I didn't even write the first one until I was 30 years old. And as you know, fast forwarding to today, sometimes doing not just one book a year, but two books every single year. And so it it's just been an amazing journey. It has.
0: Yes, yes. And you guys I sprinkled in the intro hometown because she is from Rockford, Illinois, where I was born and raised. And um you have you're still in Rockford knowing that you could move anywhere and be anywhere. What keeps you in Rockford?
5: That question comes up a lot. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes, too, I will see people that I've known most of my life, but I haven't seen in a number of years. And they'll say, so how long are you going to be here? You know, can we get together? And so I thought, wow, I must not be out <laughs> very much and about, um, you know, that's
0: the times <laughs> that I've lived in Rockford. I haven't seen you. No. In about a lot of places. <laughs> you know, unless it was some ticketed events. I think I've seen you at one event or something. But yeah. yeah. Not knowing that you have still lived in Rockford, Illinois, best-selling author.
5: Yes, but it is, it's home to me. Um, You know, on my mom's side of the family, with the exception of two brothers, there were 11 of them, all the rest of my aunts and uncles and their children live in the Rockford area. So I think that's part of it. Um, But it's absolutely home. And so I think once I started writing, and the national tour started, and we were traveling around city to city, then it became more of a joy for me to be at home, um, you know, in a smaller area, and you know, this is a lot of lot of the times. This is where I truly find my peace. So, what yeah. I love it, yeah.
0: And and y'all, just give me a minute. These are two hometown girls talking. Now, your last name Lawson Roby. Those are two huge families in the Rockford area. Yes. So, I'm assuming, assuming maiden name Lawson. Very yes. named Roby. Yeah. And I know a lot of Lawson's and I know a lot of Roby's. And I just yes. think that is absolutely, absolutely cool.
5: It is. It is a uh, big, big families. And yes, it's ma'am. interesting too in Rockford, you know, as you know, and as you were just saying, we know just about everybody here. You know, it's like we know the names of, you know, if you attend certain churches here. It was certain families tended to gravitate toward the same churches, you know, as as some of their other family members. And so that's that's a little interesting when you're when you're living in a town that was under 200,000. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: And, you all she's got this signature amazing skin, hair, oh. like we we're going to get into. But I think when you live in a place where it's peaceful, that I'm sure that helps you. Being centered, looking good, feeling good, you know. Now, you have been on a must read author list that includes Maya Angelou. Hmm? Like, did you ever get that feeling that you knew that what you were writing would be best selling?
5: Nope, I never did. And, you know, I think sometimes it's it's fear. It's sometimes doing what you love, what you enjoy and living out your dreams, but still somewhere on the inside thinking maybe it won't be good enough. And and so then I remember when I was starting out writing the first book, you know, I am thinking about the Maya Angelou's of the worlds and mm-hmm. the Toni Morrison's and Terry McMillan and Walter Mosley, you know, all of the names you knew back then in the nineties when I started out. And um, so, yeah, there was fear of that. And and did I think that I would make the New York times bestseller list? Nope. Didn't even think so much about that. Didn't even really know that I would write more than two or three books. Um, So yeah, it has, it's been a dream come true. And what I share all the time is that, you know, here I didn't want to become a writer. And and I don't know if you knew this, but I I share this as much as I I can because I'm hoping people don't make the mistake that I made. I did not go into writing right away out of high school and right out of college because I looked at the salaries of writers and they weren't Mm -hmm. earning very much. And so I thought, "Mm, I love writing, but I'm definitely not going to be that. You know, so let me figure out a career. Let me figure out a major In college, that will allow me to end up in a job and working for someone who's going to pay me an above average income. So that was really my thinking. And I ended up miserable, Um, you Mm -hmm. know, was moving from one job to the next sometimes. As early as nine months, I would start a position and think, oh, this isn't going to work. I can see where I'm not going to move up the corporate ladder. It's time to move on to the next one. And I would be on what I call this resume submitting campaign. Yeah. And so from one job to the next, to the next, yeah. worked for all of the companies here, just about that the names that anybody would know, um, then worked for the state of Illinois, and then I worked for the city of Rockford. So the list just went on and on, and that made me take a step back to say, okay, Lord, now, you know, I've got to go into prayer because I'm not just miserable. I'm feeling depressed every day when I get up and in tears, you know, I'm to the point where, no, I don't want to put the suit on. I'm pulling out of my closet. The first thing I see to get dressed and go to work. And so my husband, will he's watching this and thinking, you know, this shouldn't be you. You do have to do something else. And I started thinking back to all of those teachers who said you have a gift when it comes to writing. You have a gift when it comes to storytelling. And and so that led me into saying, you know what? I'm going to keep working for the city of Rockford, but every evening and weekend, I'm going to start writing. And I kept doing that for seven months in 1995 until it was complete.
0: Wow. Now, when you said you loved writing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: help me, maybe even for those of us who might even be interested, when you say I loved writing, mm-hmm. did you knew it was writing books or was it just going to be writing articles for people? Writing what?
5: Yes articles. I thought that I would either work for our local newspaper or write articles for magazines. Um, and if it was fiction, maybe some short stories for magazines, but yeah, never thought that it would be books.
0: So when you say for the paper, so is writing and journalism, you, it wasn't journalism though, was it that? Yeah, I
5: was thinking along the lines of journalism. Okay. And in fact, I wrote for the school newspaper um, when I was at Eisenhower middle school here. So I loved, loved writing in in that respect. And so, yeah, no, I never thought, okay, I'm going to write fiction. I'm going to write a novel and I'm going to write a book. And you know, so it just ended up being that, but that mm-hmm. was definitely not my, my lifelong dream.
0: So since 1995, is that correct? You, mm-hmm. yes. you published your first book, 30 books later, that requires discipline. Mm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: It's almost like if somebody started recording music in 1995 and they've got 30 albums out, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That means there's a, not only a love and passion, but you can have passion and love for something, but no discipline. Yes. Now, in order for you to have the results that you have, the fruit of that is discipline. Where do you find your discipline to write? Is it something you had to work at?
5: It is something that I have to work at. I would say more now than when I first started out, which is interesting. You know, you would think it would maybe be the other way around, but I think in the beginning, and sometimes I think this happens with no matter what industry you're in, you want it really badly, and and it's mm-hmm. such a goal that you're trying to meet, and you know you have this dream that you want to see come to pass, and so nothing could have stopped me from saying, this is what I'm going to do every single evening, every night, every weekend, every holiday until the book is complete. And so then when the next book came around, it was time to write that. So of course I ended up self-publishing the first book because I couldn't find a literary agent. I was rejected by every single one that I submitted to. And the same thing when I went directly to publishers.
0: And you kept writing. So there's a word in there. Yes. Even though you were rejected by every literary publishing house, you kept writing.
5: Yes. I kept going, kept going. And even when I was ready to give up because it it was disappointing and it was discouraging. And of course, that rude awakening happens when you realize it's not going to be as easy as you thought. And so I thought, oh, you know what? This was a nice idea. And I thought it might work out, but it's not. So maybe it's time to move on. And my mom, you know, I always say, God rest her soul. When she realized I was really ready to give up, she said, you know, I I don't know anything about publishing, writing books, but what I do know is we've passed around copies of your manuscript to a lot of women here locally. And many of them said they couldn't put it down until they finished it. And she said, I just think that means something and you shouldn't give up. And so then it was my husband, Will, who said, well, why can't you take your business background, start your own company, and publish the book yourself? So that's how the whole idea of self-publishing came about. It was not my plan. It wasn't something I even considered. And then he offered to withdraw money, borrow from his 401k account. So he believed in me at that time. I, I always say, you know, I have to give credit where credit is due. He and my mom, they believed a whole lot more in me than I believed in myself back in that period of time.
0: So you have the discipline and the resilience, but it's also good to have one or two people mm-hmm. like you, beside you. Yes, you know, because a lot of us, I've, I'm guilty of feeling like I can do this by myself. I can work quicker on my own, mm-hmm. but it does get lonely when you feel like you are doing stuff by yourself or you're not supported. So. You, two closest people to you who can be the most critical or supportive, which is your mom and your husband. Mom could be like, you know, girl, if you don't go back and get your job, because (laughs) we also have to tell, tell people when you're working for corporations, you are obviously getting health insurance. Yes. Other benefits regarding retirement. You mentioned 401k. So when you quit that, quit your job there you're also quitting security
5: yes yes and so with will that was my question to him we're going to go from two incomes to one you know have you thought about that because i thought you know what he's kind of lost it here you know that's nice it's great to have the support and it's great to have him believe in me but i was thinking ahead and it's like okay you know we're not rich and wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but we can pay our bills on time. We can save for a rainy day. We can save for retirement. And that was a good life as far as I was concerned. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so his response was, you know, I, I hear you and no, we won't have money to do a lot of extra things. We won't be able to just waste money on things that we don't need, you know, but we'll be able to pay our bills with my income. But I think that if you don't quit your job, and if you don't give this 100% of your time, you're not going to be successful with it. And and so I thought about it, prayed about it, talked to my mom some more about it. Mm. Now, what I learned later is from my mom's twin brother, my dear uncle Ben was, you know, after she had passed away and gone, he said, now, when you did give your two-week notice and you ended that, he's like, She supported everything you did, but that made her nervous. She just didn't tell you that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> he was like, just so you know, <laughs>
5: yeah, you know, that's it. He said, but I told her, he's like, you know, let her do what she's going to do. Because I I did say to Will, I said, okay, but what if it doesn't work? So I still need you to answer that question. And he said, well, you know what, if it doesn't work, then you'll just move on to something mm-hmm, else, it, mm-hmm. you know? And, but do you want to keep going years and years down the road, wondering if you could have had some success with it? And, and so I moved forward with it and it started selling very well. At that time, we had probably 300 plus, if not more, um, independent Black bookstores in the country. And so they really supported me and and really just helped make my career, um, you know, much bigger than it than it would have been. They helped me in ways that I just wasn't counting on. And so it was just a blessing all around. Um, took those numbers, went back to agents, found one who said yes. She sold the second book to a publisher. And from there, my traditional publishing career began.
0: Amazing. Mm-hmm. There's been so many stories about how you kept going, even though you were rejected, uh, before then, you said I- I've got to follow my dream. But the other nugget is I want to go back to when your brother was telling you, "Yeah, mom was nervous, but she didn't project that onto you."
5: Mm-hmm, my uncle, yep yeah, her br- her brother. <laughs>
0: oh, yes, yeah. right. her brother yes. told you, "Mom, yes. mama was nervous. Your mom yes. was nervous, so she didn't project that onto you." And mm-hmm. a lot of people, my grandmother used to say, "Mean well." But they, it's best to have a concern maybe, but when you see somebody really want to go after something, maybe mm-hmm. keep certain concerns to yourself. Yes. Because nine, nine times out of 10, from what I'm seeing, it always works out. Yes. It always works out. Yes. It always works out.
1: Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of Black communities. Along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: Alright, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue with its powerful VC turbo engine. Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! (laughs) And outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue.
6: How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same.
0: Thank you to the geniuses of Spoken Audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
2: Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com.
0: After all of these books, continuing to find inspiration. Is it through conversations? Something you ate? Something you smell in the wind? Like... (laughs) How?
5: So it, a lot of times for me, and this really started in the very beginning without my intentionally doing this, but I started writing about very uh, early on with the first book about real life social issues. So mm. even though I was writing in a fictional fictional format, I was writing about real life issues. Um, sometime controversial issues, sometimes taboo issues, but issues that I believed we should be talking about that maybe we weren't talking about enough. And so, Mm. I began with the first book. And then after that book was out and readers started reading it and I was getting feedback, I started specifically asking readers, what kept you reading? What was interesting about the book to you? What did you enjoy the most about it? And what I heard more often than not was that they could relate their own lives to the lives of the characters and the social issues and the problems and the obstacles that they were trying to overcome. Or if they could not relate directly, they knew family members or friends who had experienced some of what those characters were dealing with. And so, I decided... Um, from that point on that that's what I would do, that I would write fiction, but I would base it on real life social issues. And so, of course, uh, you know, my third book, uh, which took my career to a whole other level was Casting the First Stone. Um, you know, it's the first book in my Reverend Curtis Black series about problems and scandal in the church. And so, you know, talk about controversial, that that's when I really moved into the area of writing about, you know, stories that people were certainly talk, talking about Ooh. and they knew about, mm-hmm. but maybe not talking about as publicly um, as, as as you might see today. So And so, of course, then the question comes up, which kind of relates to your question is, you know, where did... Where did you get him from? How did you create him? You know, Mm -hmm. what inspired you? And so I've always said, I think Reverend Curtis Black was awful and flawed and he was as terrible as he was because he is a mixture of a number of different pastors that I have known or heard about Mm -hmm. throughout Mm -hmm. many years.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, has anybody ever thought the book was about them and they felt a way?
5: Well, I won't say whether they have or not, but what has happened is I have had pastors' wives contact me either by email and in a Mm -hmm. couple of cases on the road at events to just lean in while I'm signing their book to say, thank you so much for writing my story. Thank you for saying what i'm not able to say because so many times our members of our congregation they see us in the nice suit or the nice hat on Sunday morning they have no clue what we're dealing with the other 6 days in the week
0: wow mm-hmm. so that there has to give you ample inspiration to keep going and to keep writing like you said stories for people who may feel like yeah i i can't tell this but Kim can tell. Yes. Kimberla can tell. Yes. Um, the story. One of your most recent book, um, Sister Friends Forever, it's very, 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 very emotional story. And it follows four lifelong friends mm-hmm. facing crisis in family and love. How much of these kinds of stories are based on... Well. I guess you just you answered the question previously, but in this book, I'm assuming anything based on stories you know, people you follow. Cause I'm like, we can get off this podcast and I'm gonna tell you a bunch of stories and be like, Kim can write it, I won't. That's right.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing with it sister friends forever. I have um, two girlfriends, my best friends. One um it's been, you know, 52, 53 years um, because we met in first grade. And so we've been Mm. friends since we were six years old. And so we have moved beyond really being friends and best friends. We're no different than sisters. I mean, that's how close Mm. we are. That's how much we love each other. And we have each other back and we're there for each other. And then she, Kelly, introduced me to a friend of hers, Lori, and she became my best friend. And so that's been nearly 40 years of friendship. And so just the idea of me thinking about. My sisterhood um, that I have with them, and and the relationship that I have with them, and I started thinking, you know what happens when women do meet? It might be in school at a young age. um, And in Mm. this case, these four women, none of them go to the same elementary school. Um, They meet because their parents are all members of the same church and they build this relationship and they remain friends. And they go to four separate colleges when they graduate from high school, but they still come home and they spend their time together every summer. And then they eventually graduate and make the decision to make their home back in their hometown together. And so now as the story opens, they're all 40 years old, and they are as close as sisters can be that has not changed. Mm -hmm. But they're living for different lives as it relates to their relationship statuses and i had always wanted to write about the four of them so serena is still single really wants to be married um more than anything and and is wondering why she's not michelle is finally engaged for the very first time about to be married in uh three months but now the true first love of her life is now back on the scene so she's kind of got some issues with that kenya yeah is married has a husband and two beautiful children, but her husband's first wife, well, you'll kind of have to read the story to read it. what's mm-hmm. going out with that. Um, and then Lynette, sadly, is already divorced and is trying to navigate what it's like now to be a single mother and to get back out on the dating scene after not having done so for nearly 20 years now.
0: You just told four very real scenario, circumstances that someone even listening to this podcast can relate to. Mm -hmm. You got to read the book because I want to know, did Michelle get back with the, you know, what (laughs) happened there? But, you know, now this one book of yours that I do have, The Woman God Created You to Be. Mm -hmm. You guys, I've always known Kimberla to be poised, seemingly centered, grounded, anchored, right? Mm -hmm. But in... This book, you admit that for years you weren't being the real woman God created you to be. Mm-mm. You had an epiphany that brought that into focus. How can you share that? Because now you're writing about other people's stories. Now yes. you're writing the woman God created you to be in your more autobiographical book.
5: Yes, and that's it. And you know, it's been interesting. When I finished writing The Woman God Created You to Be and um, was sharing the manuscript with uh, some of my beta readers, and then when the book was released, I started, you know, of course, right away receiving feedback from readers, and I was shocked, I guess, to some degree, to hear readers say, I thought that I knew you. You know, I've I've loved your writing and I've enjoyed your storytelling, but now I feel like I have a connection with you on a whole other level. Um you know, it's almost like I think you can have a certain amount of success and people just assume you don't have issues, you don't have problems, and and that life is just great, and and that's yeah. just not true. And so that was one of the reasons too. I think that of all the books that I've written, I was really terrified to write it. I wasn't sure, first of all, that I could write nonfiction because I had only written fiction um, when it came to the books that I had written for so many years. But I also knew that in order for me to write this book in the way I knew God was calling me to write it, I was going to have to be very transparent. And Mm. that did mean that I couldn't just talk about the happy times and the success and and all of these great times and and the blessings that God has you know, favored me with. Um, I was going to have to talk about the flaws and and fears and how it, you know, has sometimes consumed me and and failures, you know, where maybe I said some things that I absolutely should not have said to someone. And maybe I treated someone in a way that that I'm not proud of, um, but really wanted to write about, you know, this is what I did. This is how I made changes. This is how I've worked on my relationship with God. And this is how, you know, you can do the same thing. Or I'm hoping that it prevents you from making some of the mistakes that I have made um, throughout the years.
0: Mm. Now, y'all, you got to read that book, The Woman God Created You to Be, because uh, you've heard the saying, This is just how I am. Yes. I think that's an easy way out, or it's a way for you to stay comfortable in who you are versus no we can all grow we can all get better yes you know um i don't think we were created to stay the same i told someone the other day as long as you are growing you will be changing but you gotta grow you've got to grow but i think that this is just how i am it's rooted in a lot of fear and pride
5: Mm-hmm. It is definitely uh both of those and and you're right. It's like any of us if we're doing some of the same not so nice things at 40, 50, 60 years old that we were doing in our teens and in our 20s, you know what, shame on us. You know, mm-hmm. you know, shame on us because as you said, we can grow and you know that old cliche, when you know better, you do yeah. better, you know, and I think we should. So,
0: well, the book helps break cycles because mm-hmm. by the time you get forty and you're having some of the same results, some of the same relationship problems, whether it's business or work or with you can't keep you can't seem to maybe quite keep um, just regular friends. You gotta—is it cyclical? What is it? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could be trauma you haven't unpacked and healed from. And yes. we've got to understand, too, that we deserve to be healed from stuff.
5: We we you definitely know? do. Definitely do. And, um, you know, I talk about pretty early on in the book, you know, what's probably been the most traumatic um, mm-hmm. and devastating experience in my life. And it was when my mom became terminally ill and my mom ended up passing away at the age of 57. So you know, when you're in your thirties, your early thirties, you're not expecting that you're going to lose your mother. (laughs) Um, and so that became a time in my life Mm. where, uh, you know, I did what, you know, I used to hear my mom and my grandmother say, you know, when I say, oh, I'll never do this, or that could never happen with me. And, you know, they would say, honey, just keep on living, you know, uh, you know, when you say never, you know, never say never, (laughs) but, I did something that I thought I would never do and likely would have criticized um, someone else if they admitted that. And that is, I became so angry with God that I literally just didn't want to hear anything about him. And because all I could see was I've been raised up to love you, to know who you are, to honor you and to trust and believe in you. And now you're going to take the most important person in my life away from me. And so I just couldn't wrap my mind around that. And so I had to grow. And so my mom, she she realized that she had overheard me um, having a conversation with Kelly. Kelly, um, it was the day I was on the phone with her, telling her that the doctors, mm-hmm. we had just come back from Madison and they had said that they had done all they could do. And so Kelly's first response was, well, we know God has the final say. And my best friend, my best friend, who I never had spoken um, this way to before, when she barely finished the last word, my response was, you know what? I am so tired of you and everybody else telling me what God is going to do, because the only thing I can see is that he's taking everything away from me. And so there was just silence on the phone with both of us. And so my mom was at her house and she was in the guest bedroom. And she told me, you know, day or so later, she said, I heard you when you were having that conversation on the phone with Kelly. And she said, I started praying for you right then and there in that moment. And she said, the reason I started praying for you is because when I'm gone, he's going to be the only one you have to bring you through what you're going to go through. And so I think about that now because she was absolutely right. It is losing her, that's what helped me turn my life around and and bring me closer to God than I had ever been.
0: Listen, I could see me being even mad at my mama. Thank you for praying, mom, but yes. <laughs> you can't be on Kelly's side too. Now I, I need right. you to, I need you to console me. And here she is Yes, knowing she's going to pass away yeah. and she still has the strength to say, I'm praying for you.
5: That's right. That's exactly right. And because I, I guess in her mind, she's you know, probably you think about a mom who's like, we've raised you up. And, you know, you know, that's kind of a a dangerous path to be sliding along saying you're angry and through with God, you know, so, you know, I'm sure that mortified her, but I was just so hurt and so angry. And then I talk about, I talk about this in the book, and this was something that nobody knew, not my husband, not Kelly, not Lori, not anybody, not my brothers, even, was I was so devastated that I had finally pulled myself together and decided that I would carry out my mom's arrangements the way she had told me she wanted them to be handled, that I would be strong, I would handle her business, I would do what I needed to do, and that while you know I didn't think I had the courage to end my life. I, I definitely didn't think that somehow I decided, you know what though, but when it's all over and I've handled everything, if I can just get in bed and if I never get up, I don't eat, drink, or do anything again, then that'll be the end of it. Literally that crossed my mind. Wow.
0: Wow. Because yeah. I
5: couldn't imagine a life without her. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What year did she pass?
5: Uh, Two thousand one. So it'll be ooh, twenty-two years this year. Twenty-two in years. Yeah.
0: So I know that someone listening is mad, mm-hmm. grieving, and guess yes. what? I'm not even judging someone for being mad because guess what, Kim? That that's an emotion, a natural mm-hmm. feeling that you know comes. Uh, somebody that's listening who is upset at God over the loss of someone or something, Mm -hmm. what will you tell them right now?
5: You know, I would tell them to to stay prayerful, to know that God truly is who he says he is and that, you know, the scripture when it says, you know, weeping may endure for a night as many Mm -hmm. times as as we have heard that joy truly does come in the morning Mm -hmm. and that had I not allowed um, my faith to return. And had I not gotten myself back on track and, and just reconnected with God and worked on my relationship with him, I would not have gotten through the grief. Mm. I'm not sure how I would have made it through the morning process, um, had it not been for him. I mean, mm-hmm. he carried me completely through and I went from having a relationship to him to having a relationship with him on a level that I had not even known before.
0: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I can imagine that experience alone inspired so many other portions of books. When you were saying that I even just saw cinematography on your mother overhearing that conversation. Like, Mm -hmm. I could see that. Mm -hmm. I see that.
1: Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of Black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth Along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Alright, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park
2: was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue with its powerful VC turbo engine. Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! (laughs) And outrun a few! Drive the Nissan
4: Rogue.
1: AT&T Connects, an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream.
0: I've been seeing the past few months or so this year about a masterclass. Yes. That you have, there is a waiting list though, apparently. Mm -hmm. Kimberla Lawson-Roby Writing and Publishing Masterclass. Why have you decided to do that?
5: I finally decided to do it because, well, for a number of years, I've been asked by readers, will you ever do workshops? Will you ever do some sort of class on writing? Sometimes it's, you know, I've already finished writing my book, but now I need to know what to do next. So, can you talk about the different versions of publishing? How do I get a literary agent? And um, how do I go about promoting my work once it is published? And so, a lot of times I will talk to folks on on the phone, you know, just depending on how much time I have. I'll talk to people in person at events. I'll respond with lengthy email messages if I have time. And so that was sort of it. But now fast forwarding to this year, I started receiving more questions than usual. And I think it kind of has something to do even with the pandemic, I would say. I think so many people now, things that they've wanted to do or had dreams about doing, they're moving forward with it um, much more frequently um, than we've probably mm-hmm. seen in the past. And so I thought, you know, now in this day of Zoom and doing everything online, you know, maybe I should create something that I can offer um, in that particular platform. And so from there, uh, both of the master classes were born, one for writing and then one for publishing and promoting your mm-hmm. work.
0: And I, I think so many people are have discovered purpose. And like you said, during the pandemic, matter of fact, there's something you say um, in your book. So much of what you loved doing as a child has everything to do with your assigned purpose. Yes. Then you ask the question, do you know your purpose? And you're so right. What were you passionate about? Mm-hmm. And that's still even something that grinds your gears right now that you feel like if I could just get my Hands in there. I Mm -hmm. could fix this. And some of the most life changing, a lot of people have found wealth, all types of wealth, emotional, of course, financial wealth by being the solution to a problem that they felt. You know, and so I love that you posed that question and you have the answer. Well, so much of what you love doing as a child has everything to do with your assigned purpose. Now, womenwhowritesbooks.com is where you can register for the online writing or publishing masterclass. There is still a waiting list. When will it go live again?
5: Well- Either uh, the first part of September, and actually I'm working on something now because I've had so many folks contact me over these last three months. Um, I did it in May and then June and then July, you know, saying, you know, is it possible that you could just create a, a recording that I could have access to? because they've just not been able to work things out scheduling wise so that they Got can it. attend. I've done weekdays. I've done the weekend. And so I'm thinking about doing that, but whether I uh, make the recorded one available for registration or I do the live, the next one will be in September.
0: Okay. Amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. So yes. y'all women who If you are a writer y'all register. Now, I do have a question, mm-hmm. and I know that's what the masterclass is for. What is a common mistake that maybe self-published authors do?
5: Well, that's like the easy one. I could almost barely wait for you to finish asking the question. Cause I always tell it's like, okay, please take this through, you know, the right way. Don't take it the wrong way to writers when I'm talking to them, but I'm, I'm trying to be honest because I want them to be mm-hmm. the best that they can be. Sometimes I will read manuscripts or, or books that have already been self-published and the writing is better than I would ever be able to do. That's how great the writing or the mm-hmm. story is, but the editing is a whole other story. And so, many times, writers will finish writing their book, they will maybe have a proofreader, take a quick look at it, looking for typos and spacing errors, and then that's where it ends. But you definitely want to hire three sets of editors. The first is a content and developmental editor. Um, You want to go through your rewrites and your revisions Then you want to hire a freelance copy editor. Uh, That's sort of the middle ground person for further fine tuning. And then you want to hire a freelance proofreader. And so um, the biggest mistake is that most uh, self-published writers do not hire the three separate editing professionals.
0: And you got to invest. Yes. You you can't cut corners. No. No. It's Like you, save, you.
5: if it takes a year, let it, let it be a year. You know, I've, I've seen instances where someone has contacted me, asked me what they should do. I've given recommendations on some of the best freelancers that I know of that come highly recommended by lots of writers who have used them. And two or three weeks later, their book is available on Amazon. And so that means they didn't think that advice was necessary. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, y'all, you have to take it from the best. Someone that's been on the New York Times best-selling list, uh, USA Today's list, Maya Angelou has definitely recommended her books as must-reads. Do you read other people's books? Mm-hmm. I if do. So, definitely. what has been? What has been a, a read? Which y'all like? Y'all, of course, read my books, but read this one.
5: Right. Wow. Well, you know, I have a number of different ones. Now, I have to say over these last, you know, three to four years, it's been more um, nonfiction. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. And so uh, Believe Bigger is, oh, I believe I it about Marshawn it's of, Evans. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just that's a book that. It's been out now for a few years, but I love that book so much that if you went into my Amazon account, you'd see where I had that shipped to five different people. Um, Isn't
0: it amazing? It is, yes, that amazing. It's so funny! You should. She asked for my address today. Oh my god. And I'm gonna make sure that I get yours, and whatever she's sending me, I'm gonna tell her to send it to you, please. Because please no do. matter what state you're in. Like I started, what, what was that? 2021, 2020 mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. And you still have to pick that up because some, you'd be like, I'm believing bigger and then season a change and yes, your mm-hmm. belief kind of wavers a little bit. And so you definitely want to, yes, believe bigger for sure. And if I'm also not mistaken, you do you have a podcast?
5: I do. I the do. The woman, not, yes, uh, created you to be, yeah. And so I have not started the next season. I'm planning to do that, okay. uh, very soon. But yeah, based on the book, so
0: amazing. That's uh, checking in. This podcast was birthed from my book, but you know, mm-hmm. weekly, wanted to make sure to check in with people um, from various walks of life, and uh, I'm so glad that you took some time to check in with us today.
5: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And telling us about such an inspiring journey. I'm really glad and grateful that you've had a supportive family uh, to help you um, and push you. What if somebody, my last question is, what if somebody says, well, Kimberla, I, I think that's great. I'm excited and grateful. I'm not hating that you mm-hmm. had your mom or husband to support you, but my family be hating on my dreams. What, <laughs> what, what, what can I do?
5: You know and and I talk about that somewhere in the book, too. It's like make sure you eliminate and ignore the naysayers. They were around. i I had a few here and there who kind of looked at me crazy when I said I was writing my first book. You know, I you know, some of the looks were, you know, wow, you know, that's nice. you know, and they move on to another conversation. Some people looked at me like, you know, you must be absolutely out of your mind. And, and so I remember that's discouraging that that can really make you second guess yourself. And so I had to stop talking about it, you know, my dreams to those people. So you learn uh, very quickly, you need to figure out who that circle of friends and family members are, who's going to support you, who's going to make you accountable, who's going to tell you to keep going, no matter what, and that's who you want to keep in your presence throughout that process.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Y'all, Kimberla Lawson Roby, thank you for checking in.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's an honor. I love you. And um just so I grateful to too. have and the opportunity. Please, I know we've
0: been trying to get together, you know, yeah. and stuff going on. You know, please, please, please. don't. Oh, I would love to partner with you and what you've got going on in our hometown.
5: All right. Yes. All right.
0: Y'all weren't y'all inspired and just motivated? I am so inspired and motivated to do some things that I've been kind of holding on to out of fear. And I hope that this has given you the courage to kind of step out the boat and do what it is that you know that you are supposed to be doing and know that it's going to work out. Even if there's failure along the way, some hiccups, some frustration, but at the end of the day, you're going to be so glad. So while I encourage you, will you encourage me as well? All right. Love y'all. Thank y'all so much for checking in. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open air zoo, when I realized that the
2: park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see
4: all the animals. Whoa! (laughs) And outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue.
1: AT&T Connects, an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream.